like for I mean for several years really, but you're literally just like staying a quarter step ahead of disaster the whole time. Yes. Like you're literally just like everything is like, okay, that's fixed now. I'm gonna turn my attention to this and that's fixed. I'm turning my attention to this. And like and any one thing, any really bad thing could have just totally like yeah. destroyed yeah. it. Hello, welcome to the Make Something Where You Are podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Houghton. And today I'm interviewing David Wilson who co-created one of the world's largest documentary film festivals in the middle of Missouri. I also host the Mystery Hour, TV show that we're syndicating from right here in Springfield. I personally love documentaries, and I think it's from going to True False for so many years. It's like, I don't know, a lot of things say this, but like, it's, it's about the thing, but it's also about the experience. It's about the documentaries you see, but just what they've created. So I always have ideas for documentaries, but I wouldn't know how to follow through. I do that with a lot of things. So I have ideas and then I'm like, I can't get this off my mind until I go to someone that can do it, whether or not it's a good idea. And I tell them the idea and then I get it off my mind and they maybe can do something with it. If I've done that to you and your business, I apologize. I think it's kind of rude or maybe it's inspiring. No, just rude. All right. We have some great sponsors from Make Something Where You Are podcast. First up, the 1906 Gents, Springfield's own custom design wood shop. The 1906 Gents, offering custom furniture and build-outs for your home or office and more. The 1906 Gents will work with you to create one-of-a-kind, unique, quality wood pieces that will stand for generations. The 1906 Gents offers a wide range of woodworking and design services in addition to their own line of furniture and home decor. The 1906 Gents, we build the things you make memories around. It's also brought to you by the E-Factory. E-Factory works with entrepreneurs, business leaders, startups, and creators to help make Springfield, Missouri the best place in America to start a business. So whether your company is still just a dream, or you're in the thick of starting and growing your venture, or you're interested in meeting the people behind Springfield's amazing small businesses, the E-Factory is where you want to be. When you're ready to make something, they're ready to help. Okay, David Wilson. I have loved True False Film Festival in Columbia for years and years. I stumbled upon it. 2006 and I happened to be visiting a friend that lives there that weekend. I may have never found out about it otherwise. After that, my wife and I went to it every year for years until I started booking a gig out of town the same weekend. And I was like, oh, I gotta give up True Falls. Okay, well, I evangelize for True Falls. It's amazing. It's one of the biggest documentary film festivals in the world with more than 50,000 tickets sold. And it happens right up the road from here in Springfield in Columbia. So I preach true false to anyone that will listen. Part of the fun's documentaries, and as I said, it's part of the atmosphere they've created. You should listen to this, but you should also go to it. It's always the first weekend of March, and you will love it. So for this, I drove up to David's house in Columbia and sat with him in his living room in the house he grew up in that he now owns while his daughter napped in another room. David's the co-founder of the True False Film Festival. Please enjoy this conversation with David Wilson. I'm trying to figure out where to start with you. Um, well, I guess maybe just to say, we we started going to True Falls. I don't know when it was. Two thousand. When did it start? Two thousand four was the first. Two thousand four. And then when did when was the Big Smith show? And that was like two thousand six, I think. Two thousand five, five or six, even maybe. It was like, very early. Yeah. yeah. So I just come up to visit my friend Mike Denny mm-hmm. and. Um, and come, he's like, hey, I'm volunteering for this thing on Sunday. Do you want to come? And then I was like, what is this? <laughs> and uh, and then we became like evangelists for it and went every year. And uh, 
and so like so true false to me has always been one of these things of like and I'm sure you find this that people are, like get hooked and then they become like evangelists for mm-hmm. it <clears throat> and it's almost like there is this amazing film festival here how does everyone not know about it right <laughs> do you find that yeah I mean like it's still I mean you know, it's still it's big but like it's big but still there's still like you know, if you think about the scale of it, there's still, you know, like 80% of Columbia still doesn't go to it, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like more probably, you know, and I think the, sorry, um, yeah, if you think about the scale, like, you know, most of Columbia far and away does not go to True False and people outside of Columbia, like if you're in this world, you know about it, but it still feels like a secret. Um, yeah. Which I think it's good. I think it's like nice to have something that people... Because, like, when it feels special and secret, you want to tell people about it, and you feel, like, kind of an ownership of it. ownership. Yeah. And you do feel like you're in this secret club, like, I know about this thing. Yeah. And this is something I, I mean, I know you're a big band guy, but um, I think about with my my show, I like to think of it as, like, knowing about the indie band before they got popular. Right. Maybe it'll never, the popular part never happened, but, like, it's that ownership where you're like, I know about it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean... More or less for various people, but, you know, like, information is cultural currency, right? Like, yeah. You know, and, uh, I mean, there are people, I mean, I remember it used to, like, crack me up. There was, like, a person who was the head of a very, like, significant organization that worked in, like, documentary film mm-hmm. who had never been to True False but was one of our most, like, vocal evangelists. Yeah. And, like, they... I, I realized, I was like, oh, this is a person who, like, really deeply cares about having, like, having knowledge about the world, right? And they really yeah. deeply care. They want to know what the new big thing is. Yeah. They don't want to ever feel like they're behind the curve. They always want to be true, the one. True. So, like, it is, like, there's, like, there's a capital to be able to tell somebody, hey, here's a thing you don't know about. Let me tell you about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think there's, like, a, um, uh, it's something I think about. I think about it a lot with with what I do is like so the, the broader idea is that like you know broadcast TV is kind of going down but content's going up all the, and everyone wants to have all the digital content and all this stuff and there's a million videos and we're just kind of inundated and I feel like kind of the next thing after people are talking about digital 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 still but for a few years after that it's like the the live you had to be there sort of experience. Right. Those are the things I'm drawn to, and I think people like coming out to my show for it. Like you just had to be there, and that's what true false is. I always say to people, it's it's the films, but it's it's more the experience. You had to be there pretty early on. I mean, we realized pretty early on. Like I think we borrowed the phrase from like the the farmers market world of like value added, right? Yeah. You know, like so if you're a farmer, you like <clears throat> if you, if you don't if you if you turn your just like beef into sausage, now you've like you can charge more for it, right? Yeah. Or whatever, and like so, you know. Definitely figuring out that the value-added aspect of True Falls was going to be like the live music before the screenings, uh-huh. the presence of directors and subjects of the films there, the Q and A's after, and then all yeah. of like the parties and events that that are live, that are one-off. And so yeah. it, it immediately takes it out of the territory of like, well, I could stay home and watch this on Netflix, or I could watch it here, and makes it feel, you know, it makes it feel yeah. scarce, makes it feel special, um, yeah, and brings that, yeah. And that's, I mean, I don't know if I have. I may not have any other film festival experience, but I don't know if other ones do that to that extent. No. I mean, yeah. I mean the short answer is no. Like, yeah. there's no other film fest that does it to that extent. I, I think other festivals are aware of this and, and, and think about it. And 
Um, and I've kind of gone even like deeper of late, like this is getting real film fest nerd, but uh, yeah. like kind of studying how theme parks think about people yeah. um, and, and experience building, because they do, like, right? Yeah. So Disney like is very definitely thinking about you, Jeff, yeah. and your experience from the moment you park to when you walk through the gate to yeah. what you do during your day. Um, and they've got like a track for you. And you can't see the track, but you're on it, um, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and, and somebody else, you know, like your wife or your kids will have diff- slightly different tracks. Yes. that will mostly be parallel and then sometimes we are off, yeah. right? And so they're really smart about that. And, and I think they're actually smart about the fact that in doing so, you can also build sort of narrative. Like you can use narrative convention for people's experience. Uh-huh. So, you know, there's a reason there are fireworks at the end of the night every night at Disney World. Uh-huh. And that is because that's like a punctuation on your day. Like yeah. it, it's like the, it gives you an, it's the it's the the end literally yeah, like coming up on screen, it, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think about, I've come to think about that a lot with True False and about how we build tracks for people and the experiences, the way an experience starts and what happens in the middle. And even though there are now like you know eighteen or twenty thousand people, there are still in my head pretty clear pathways um, that they'll follow. Yeah, because the you have to think about that. And I hadn't. I mean, all the all your thoughts that go into it, I probably haven't thought of, but like that you have to, it could be very disparate experiences. You have different oh, yeah. venues, yeah. different people. It could be disparate, but it feels like this, Right. I don't know what the right word is for it. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, experience, eh? the people who want weird experimental films will find those films and they'll find yeah. the people who are watching those films yeah. with them. And those people may all end up at the same like non-film event that also kind of yeah. feels like of a piece with that. Um, and, you know, and the people who want to see something with 1,700 other people will watch the big, you know, popular film and they'll be in an yeah. event that also reflects that. So, yeah, you can kind of craft that whole that whole experience. OK, so then taking back to the beginning, what's the inception of it? Um, I mean, definitely all of these ideas about basically like film presentation started when Paul Sturtz and I started uh, the Ragtag Film Society. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Columbia was this college town. It had just had the only, it had a lot of movie theaters at the time, but the only downtown movie theater had just closed. Okay. And actually, as we were in the process of kind of ragtag starting like that, um, every other theater in Columbia would close except for two. And that's the scenario we've been in for the last oh, 20, really? 20 years or so. Where was the one downtown? Um, it was right on the corner of Hit and Broadway. Um, where the Alpine Shop is now. Okay, so an old one. Uh, old-ish. I mean, not yeah. particularly beautiful. Yeah. Um, probably like probably I think started being a theater in the '60s or '70s. Oh, okay. Um, it's called like the Campus Orient. Twin. Okay. No, yeah. yeah, small twin theater. <clears throat> like you know, showed the kind of like artsy films. I saw David Lynch films there. Uh-huh. I saw a YouTube documentary there, but also just showed kind of whatever. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, and that was the only downtown one. And then these other ones started to close also. So we started the Film Society. We did weekly screenings at a music club called the Blue Note, okay. which kind of opened up their doors to us and gave us a space. Well, um, but they're having concerts, so you did it like on a Monday or something? We or? did it Sunday afternoon and Wednesday evening. Ah, oh, that's fun. And they were like, I mean, one of my favorite memories of that was like, not very far in, like our second or third season. We put kind of seasons, like eight-week seasons. Okay. And I remember Richard King, the owner of that club, um, who was in really generous with us and really like took us under his wing in a way that made it possible. Mm-hmm. Um, called me up and was like, David, I've got an offer from Insane Clown Posse um, or, you know, a request for a date, but it's a date that you guys have. And so I want to like 
I wanted to run it by you first. Yeah. And we're like, man, I mean, like on one hand, I was like, this is ridiculous. But it's also like, here's Richard with like, a, you know, a band that's going to come and bring a thousand people in and they're all going to buy a bunch of alcohol yeah. and stuff like that. And we're like a film series that like on a good night was getting like 200 people out. Yeah. And he's still like saying like, look, I, I'm going to honor this commitment <laughs> to you guys. I'm going to like. Wow. So something got worked out and like, I remember like the floors were sticky with Fago, um, <laughs> but we, we still had our screenings. <laughs> That's hilarious. And so that was, you were, I mean, you were in a space, but you weren't, you didn't have your own space at this point. Right. So if you think back on that, like that seems like kind of a unique thing. It seems like some people could do that don't have an independent theater like in the yeah. town you could just start something like that yeah yeah you really you really could i mean we we started it with no capital we started it with borrowed 16 millimeter film projectors yeah um now you would do it with video um yeah i mean i mean i literally remember paul like right when we were starting having like a two-hour conversation with a woman who worked at a film distributor who he just like called up and uh-huh. basically was like hey tell me how this all works yeah you know <laughs> i've done that um yeah and she did, you know, she said, well, here's how it works. Like you guys rent this and you pay this and this is a you know, yeah. guarantee versus a percentage and all this stuff. Um, so we started to build those connections and started to pick those movies. And, you know, Paul wasn't really a movie guy. Um, yeah. And I was like, I, I, I was a movie guy and I am a movie guy, but like neither of us are really cinephiles. Yeah. And I think that's actually been good. Yeah. Um, Go too deep into that world, not know what other people yeah, like it, like it made us like, you know, another kind of common metaphor I think about and we've, we've talked about a little bit sometimes is like, um, you know, like if you're a DJ, you can be like the DJ who like just wants to get everybody dancing yeah. or you can be the DJ who wants to like impress people with like the track they never heard. <laughs> um, yeah. And the very best DJs probably do both, right? The yeah, very right. best DJs are able yeah. to kind of like bring an audience with them places. But, you know, like Paul and I are mostly like party DJs. Like, you know, we want like... We like it yeah. when everybody's dancing. And, yeah. um, and then, you know, like, and as we've gotten better at it, I think we have, we've gained the ability and gained the trust of our audience to, like, slip in a weird track now and then. And they're uh-huh. like, oh, this is weird. Okay, but I can dance to this. Like, yeah. Um, I've decided I like things that are too weird for me. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, I don't really like this, but I like that it's beyond what I like. Yeah. <laughs> I like that it's out there. And there are audiences. I mean, like, that's a really special, I think that's a great sensibility, first of all, to have. And, like, you know, when I... When people ask me like what to see in a given year at True False, there are there are audiences, and especially it's often filmmakers, like, mm-hmm. and it's often like very successful filmmakers, like doc, like the the top echelon of documentary filmmakers, yeah. people who are making like <clears throat> not just a career out of documentary film, but are like a really good career, like, yeah, who are yeah. like kind of you know, um, when they come and they're like, David, what should I see? Like, there's really no reason for them to see, you know. Won't you be my neighbor? Which they will see anyway, yeah. which they will like, which is good. Yeah. But like with those people, I'm like, I'm gonna give them films that will challenge how they think about documentary. Because that's what yeah. they want, right? Like they yeah. know they know how to make Won't You Be My Neighbor. Right, right. right. And I'm talking about like a tiny sliver of people, because that's yeah, a yeah, yeah. that's a hard movie to make. But like yeah. <laughs> But like, yeah, so for those people, it's kind of it's like a really fun challenge for myself to be like, okay, what can I throw at them that they'll that they like they don't have to love it. I don't like care if they like you know yeah, or right. even like it. <clears throat> I want them to walk out and be like, oh, I never thought about making a movie that way. That's cool. You know? That's cool. So, 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 what year is this? You have the Ragtag Society. So, Ragtag Society, um, we January nineteen ninety eight okay. um, is the beginning of that, and we do an eight week season. It goes really well. We make enough money to buy a popcorn machine. <laughs> we follow it up uh, 
in April of that year with a four-week season um, pretty quickly right after that, then do another winter season in the fall, go in the 99. Somewhere around doing the 99 seasons, um, we get, first of all, we, we upgrade to a 35-millimeter projector, which mm-hmm. is like a huge thing. Like a 16-millimeter projector for people who have never seen a film projector, mm-hmm. right, is like a thing you can carry in your hand. Yeah. You know, even, a, even a nice one, even like a professional one. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe two hands with like, you know. A 35 projector is huge, and, yeah. and we had to build a little closet for it inside the Blue Note. And again, oh, like cool. Richard King lets us build a closet yeah. in the middle of his you know, music yeah. venue. Um, but so we, we go in the 99, and we get approached by some people who were wanting to open a like cafe, bar, bakery, uh-huh. and thought it'd be neat to have like movies showing in the back room. Okay. It was, was really like the kind of extent. And Basically, like, they, kind of, they push us, and we push them, and we kind of get the ball rolling, and suddenly we're, like, opening a movie theater. Um, <laughs> and we find a venue that works for the cafe and the bar and the movie theater, but not the bakery, so the bakery has to go and be its own space, and, like, that takes a little bit longer. Wait, is that what it's become? Is that what it, Yeah, so, upright, exactly. Okay. So, okay. Um, but in, 2000, in May of 2000, we open uh, the Ragtag Cinema. Uh-huh. Um, and again, this is, you know, like... More capital for sure, and more yeah. investment for sure. But it's still like seventy seats on a flat floor. Uh-huh. All the all the chairs I picked up at like surplus auctions. Yeah, the bathrooms in the theater. You have to like kind of walk around this little corner inside the theater to go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, and you know the bar is tiny, like you know se- seats maybe six people. Yeah. Um, but that was it. That was the start. And yeah. that was that was the cinema. That was the year round cinema for eight, almost eight years. Wow, and that's, I mean, I feel like, maybe I just wasn't as aware. That feels like an error to me when there aren't as many, like, indie sort of movies being made, maybe more along the art house sort of line. Yeah, it was like, I mean, it was timed pretty well. I guess we were like, it felt like we were after the kind of indie cinema boom. Because, like, the first indie cinema stuff is happening in, like, the early 90s. So Reservoir Dogs or Sex, Lives, and Videotape. Like, that kind of moment, you know, Clerks. Like, that kind of moment where, like, Sundance films become a thing and indie films become a thing um, was, like, 90s. And, you know, and then we're, like, into 2000. And it's... But it was, like... It was kind of maturing, right? Like, those films Uh were, like, had... There were distributors who knew how to handle them and get them out in the world... Right. Um, it were you know, and it was a mix of it was a mix of American independence. It was a mix of European and international yeah. films. Yeah. Um, definitely, documentaries started to be a thing around two thousand two, two thousand three. Oh, is um, that right? Like as a yeah, like theatrically, they really were. I mean, it's very rare and sporadic, but oh, yeah, you know, we had um, you know, there was like an Errol Morris film, like Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control. Mm-hmm. Um, but then. Um, Bowling for Columbine yeah. was like one of our first big hits at the cinema, um, and then that lead like the year after that. I always talk about these with like True False, like Wing Migration and Spellbound and uh-huh. Capturing the Freedmen's all come out, mm-hmm. and like those three films, really different films, all really like theatrical documentary. Yeah, and that was collectively that was a big part of what made Paul and I think like maybe there's space for a documentary film festival. Yeah. Okay, so so seeing seeing kind of this a period of like a collection of like really well done, really well received. You're like maybe there's something here, mm-hmm. and we should be the ones to do it. Yeah, I mean it was like you know we had said we were reluctant to open the theater. 
Like we yeah. were like, I don't know if this is going to really fly. Yeah. Um, and you know, to our to the credit of the folks who were of uh, of Tim and and Ron and Holly who were wanting to open the bakery cafe, they were like, no, let's do this, let's make this go. Yeah. Um, and yeah, same thing. I mean, you know, we thought like the world doesn't need another film festival. There are a lot of film festivals. I mean, it felt yeah. at the time. Now there's more, but like it felt yeah, like oh, right, there's too many right. festivals. Um, but there weren't really very many documentary festivals. Yeah. Um, barely. Like there had been Double Take in North Carolina that had actually like shut down and was restarting the same year we started. Um, Hot Springs in Arkansas has been uh, going forever, but was always yeah. kind of small and under the radar. So I don't know. And we thought, you know, Columbia was a good journalism town. Um, that connection the, makes perfect sense. Yeah. Do you think that's part of, I imagine, I imagine the school's like, wants to encourage a documentary fe- yeah. festival with the J school. And- yeah. In, in funny ways. I mean, there were, you know, at the administrative level, there was definitely a lot yeah. of suspicion early on and like, you know, well, documentaries <laughs> aren't really journalism and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but pretty quickly, like professors and students were like, yeah, we want in on this. You have a base um, of people who might be interested yeah. in such a thing. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, okay. So how do you go from this should be a thing. We should do it. We should do it here to like, I don't know, picking a date and like, yeah, I mean, we looked, I mean, we looked at every weekend of the year, like we sat down with a calendar and went through and like looked at university, like academic schedule and holidays. And, um, you know, when in a, in a university town, you pretty quickly carve out a lot of the year because you're like, we're we're not going to do it during the summer. Right. And we're not going to do it during winter break and we're not going to do it during spring break. Um, home football game. Right. Right. And fall is kind of crazy with football. So fall weekends are kind of out. Yeah. Um, so now we're looking at spring weekends. And then we were like, you know, like we felt then, and this is funny, it's like now we're like it's more established, but like, you know, we didn't want to do it when the weather was nice. Like, uh-huh. you know, in the spring, like as the weather gets nicer and like post spring break, people want to be outside. Yeah. Like people do, you know, it's yeah. a, we're not Boulder, but we're like a pretty active town. And like, yeah. so we're like, okay, well, you know, but winter is pretty dead. So like, let's find like kind of a, like a late winter spot. Um, and the very first fest was actually like Valentine's Day weekend, the okay. first year. And then we've, we've inched it back from there. But now it's generally like <clears throat> first weekend of March, yeah. last week of February. Yeah. yeah. And then from there, we, we, I mean, we didn't really understand it at the time, but we kind of, then we overlaid like the fest calendar. And okay. like, well, here's Sundance and here's these other festivals. And it seems like this is, I mean, we, that we didn't really know. Other than to like yeah. not do Sundance and not do Cannes. Yeah. We did end up kind of like we've been dodging back and forth with the Oscars for a number of years, but like, oh right, um, but yeah, so that was it, and then and then it was just like the most work I'll ever do in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I think about this in my show. Would you? You probably wouldn't do that now, right? I couldn't. Right. I literally couldn't. Like I yeah. literally, and maybe it's because I went through it once, but like, yeah, I don't. There were. It's like a little blurry now. Like six weeks. Like I feel like everyone exaggerates how much work they do on stuff. It's just like in our nature, right? right. <laughs> but I think it was six weeks, and I think there was not a day in those six weeks that was not a, let's say, fourteen to eighteen hour work day. <laughs> um, six weeks leading up to it. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, and that what that meant was like Paul still like kind of often wakes up at like four four thirty in the morning, and then and because of that he likes to go to bed early ish. Yeah. But so there was a pretty good chunk of time where we were working tw- in tw- like basically twenty four hours in shifts, so that like <laughs> you'd be staying up. And like I would stay up until four. Yeah. When Paul would get up, and then I would sleep until like ten a.m. and then he would go to bed at like ten p.m. and then like 
Um, yeah. So what did it, well, okay. So in that process, like for me, like kind of continually going for something, it's like three days of the week. I'm like, so glad I'm doing this. This is the best. And like two days out of the week or something, it's like, what am I thinking? Did you go through that, especially in those early years? I think it was just like so, like once we decided to do it and we started doing it, we were just really head down about it. And like, yeah, just had to be done. And I, I mean, like, people work in different ways. Like, I do not work well nine to five. I'm not, yeah, I'm bad at that. Like, I'm I'm clearly bad at it. I can do, I can do a pretty sustained push like that. Like, yeah, like, like I said, I don't think I could do it now, but like, definitely at the time, six weeks of that, I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Like, you know, yeah. and, and it, for me, it gives me a certain clarity. Like the only thing I'm doing is oh, this. Yes. I love that. Yeah. It's time for a break for our mid-show sponsors. Our mid-show sponsors this time are Old Missouri Bank and the Coffee Ethic. Old Missouri Bank is always there to help you make something right here in Springfield. It's your locally owned community bank for futures made brighter, banking made better. Visit oldmissourybank.com for more information about how we can help you go for it from right here. Also, it's brought to you by the Coffee Ethic. The Coffee Ethic has always lived by the simple principle of cup, people, earth. Dedicated to the art and science of brewing, the Coffee Ethic simply knows how to create a great cup of coffee. Now offering a subscription service, you can get their coffee shop coffee delivered right to your door each month. Learn more at thecoffeeethic.com and type in the promo code Make Something at checkout for your subscription for 15% off your subscription. I love the Coffee Ethic. I've spent so many hours there. All right, let's get back to it. Please enjoy the rest of the conversation with David Wilson. So then what were your expectations of the first year and what did it look like? I mean, it was such... Like... For, I mean, for several years, really, but you're literally just like staying a quarter step ahead of disaster the whole time. Yes. Like you're literally just like everything is like, okay, that's fixed now. I'm going to turn my attention to this and that's fixed. I'm turning my attention to this. And like, and any one thing, any really bad thing could have just totally like yeah. destroyed yeah. it. Um, <laughs> I remember, I wish I could remember what you, I think I want to say it was like 2014, we had an ice storm. Ooh. And so that was like 10 years in, maybe it's like 15, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, that had been like, that was like the final sort of like boogeyman. I remember like literally if every year we started, I thought, well, if there's an ice storm, the fest is finished. Like, yeah, we will, ne- we will never be able to dig ourselves out of that hole. Like economically, oh, the like, financial hole. Yeah. Like, just like not me. Yeah. If like, if like that would be the thing that would like yeah. shut down the town, like, you know, <laughs> um, and it happened like, and then like 10 years in it happened and it sucked, but like, yeah. but it was okay. By then yeah. it was okay. Oh, we came up that year, yeah. Because I remember, like, people were deciding how to if we should drive home or not. Right. And, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but there is a certain energy when it's horrible weather, and the people that do come right. are like so into yeah. it. Yeah. Once you're there, you're like, okay, we're in, and like, yeah, I'm locked. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. But that doesn't bring you very good financial health. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so you're doing. So, I imagine the first few years feel fairly lean. But did you shoot for like a? One day or two days? Like, what did it start out It was as? smaller. So, like, year one, we started on a Friday night. We ended Sunday night. We only had 25 features, I think. Now we're up to 37. Only 25? Yeah. I mean, it seems like, I mean, it seems like a, yeah. Um, we had three venues. We had Ragtag, the Blue Note, and the Missouri Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, Which hadn't been renovated, right? That's right. Pre-renovation. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I mean, it was, felt like a lot. It was way less. I mean, I remember, you know, like, like certain things are fine. Like, you know, I don't think we'd really planned any late night parties. Like, we'd planned some, Ooh. like, events and parties, but we hadn't really got to that yet. And, like, and then, like, I remember the year when we, like, got a space. Like, somebody gave us their, like, art studio downtown. Uh-huh. And I was, like, hosting and DJing and, like, grabbed a friend of mine who had, like, flown in for the fest and made him work the door. Um, <laughs> and, like, just, you know, like, yeah. Like, this whole level of of that, which, I mean, eventually we started being able to figure out how to, like, get enough people to, like, delegate mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And how, what was, so the earlier years, what was the week after, like, did you, would you just go? Yeah, so the, or something? probably the first year, I probably just, I mean, foolishly, just because I couldn't think of anything else, figured it was done on Sunday night. Ooh. And that, A, that means, means Monday is like a, just a complete, like, splash of cold water in the face, because of course it's not done, of course, like, like, it's not done, I mean, A, it's not done until all of your guests have gone home, right? Yeah. And so, like, you know, like, at, like any party. Yeah, and yeah. so when you're a festival, like, your guests, you know, we had guests who were leaving Monday, and they're, of course, like missing flights and missing shuttles. And I mean, just uh, all yeah. kinds of stuff, you know, um, musicians wanting checks, stuff like that. And then, yeah. like, and then realizing that, like, really, I had to get myself in the mindset where, like, the week after was still full time work. Because even if that was oh, happening on Monday, yeah. really Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, like, by Thursday, it's a little bit more calm, but like, you're just putting everything back together, you're cleaning up, you know. And then it took me several years to, like, basically not get depressed because yeah. and, and i think like yeah it's funny i was just in kansas city we did like a donor event in kansas city and i was talking to, to a guy who's the campaign manager for a mayoral campaign yeah um and pretty young guy like i think it's his first like real campaign manager thing and i was like look like you're gonna be depressed like you're gonna get to election day i don't care <laughs> win or lose it doesn't matter you've been working non-stop and suddenly this is void and you're going to like wake up on a like, you know, Thursday morning and be like, I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah. And you will get like some, I mean, I'm not like a depressive person. Yeah. I definitely still remember just being like, what am I doing? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and so like that took me like five years to like be like, okay, be ready for this, David. Like, I know it's happening. Know that you will like feel <laughs> void. Know that that will be okay. Like, yeah. It's okay to play video games. It's okay to go to the office. Like, you know, <laughs> do something. It's better to do something than not do something. But like, um, Yeah. So do you have then, as it's grown, I don't, know if, I don't know if you'd say it's grown steadily or not, or after, have there been like watershed sort of moments where you've been like, okay, we, we just got bigger or turned a corner in this way? Or? It was like, it was meteoric for the first, gosh, I mean, almost 10 years. I mean, really? I mean certainly like six or seven years. Yeah. Just every year was like, you know, we would, because we would want to like, I mean, A, we weren't very good at, like, forecasting and budgeting and stuff like that. But we yeah. want to sort of say, like, well, let's be a little conservative about numbers and this. Yeah. And then it was always just way more people than we thought yeah. and, like, way more. So, um, sorry, let me interrupt. How many did you have in the first year? Do you so, 4,400 okay. tickets, I think. Whew. For yeah. year one? Yeah. That's Which, amazing. It was amazing. It was great. Yeah. We, were, we were like, this is a success. How, yeah. th- maybe we'll grow, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then wow. year two was 6,600. And then year three was 10,800. Year three. Yeah. <laughs> So we're like almost, you know, t- a multiplier of like 2.5 from 1 to 3, where you're yeah. just like, whoa. Um, you know, and then 14,000. I mean, it was like, that's what it was like. And then 20, and then there was the year Missouri Theater was shut, and it shrunk a little bit, and then it yeah. jumped back up. And so, <laughs> um, so what do you attribute? It's, it's a hard question, but what do you, why do people come and why does it grow? 
there's all sorts of answers. So it's super vague, but. I mean, <clears throat> on one hand, on a very fundamental level, we got, you know, I'll say we got lucky. And I mm. think, you know, and I'll still, you know, be, you know, <clears throat> bold enough to say like all the you know, cliches about like, well, you know, luck is the residue of skill or, you know, like sure. the more I practice, the luckier I get, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we, Columbia was ready, was primed for something that it could yeah. lay ownership to. Yeah. And we sensed that at least. I don't know if we could have like explicated that, but we sensed that and we filled that gap. We were the first one in on that, you know? Yeah. Um, and because of that, like, and then because of things we did consciously and unconsciously from the beginning, we made that ownership real. We made Columbia yeah. feel like they, they wanted to own Like we made something that was fun enough and interesting enough yeah. that they wanted to own it. Yeah. And we gave pieces of it away to people so they could feel that ownership. Oh yeah. Um, Having your home, I mean, it could feel like, it could feel like these are just these guys putting this thing on, right. which is a whole different thing than like, right. this is ours and we're proud of it. Yeah. I mean, the, the year before the festival, um, some guys showed up who were not necessarily, from, who were not from Columbia, um, wanting to do a film festival. Ooh. And huge, big ideas. Like, I remember meeting with them, like, and they were like, this is going to be a million dollar budget. And... I'm just like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> what's a million? I would have no idea how to do that. But if you yeah. tell me you're gonna do that, and they're like, we want, you know, like, what do you know about like closing down Broadway? And I was like, I don't know anything about closing down Broadway. Like, that seems impossible <laughs> too. Like, but um, you know, so they had these like really big ideas, and they were just super sketchy about it. And they yeah. like, I mean, they they told people that like, you know, they'd be like, oh, Coke's a sponsor. Hey, Pepsi, do you want to be a sponsor? And like, Coke hadn't said they were a sponsor, yeah. but they're you know stuff like that. And um, to his, in my eyes, eternal credit, Paul, um, who can be prickly and stubborn and um, very opinionated, um, you know, we listened to this pitch and Paul said no. Yeah. And a lot of people, and I was like, you know, I, I wasn't fighting him on it, but a lot of people who are our friends were saying, no, this is great. Like, it, yeah. you know, we need a film festival. It'll be so cool. Like, maybe it won't be this, but it'll be this, you know? Yeah. Um, and that, that's like, that's terrible. Like, to tell your friends, like, we're, no, we're not going to help out with this. We don't want it at our theater. We don't want to help out. We don't want our name on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, really hard to do. It takes like, real, like, and, and like, Paul had the guts to be like, yeah, no, like, we're not, we don't want anything to do with this. Um, it was a disaster. The, their festival was an unmitigated oh, disaster yeah. on, on every level. Oh. Attendance was terrible. They treated guests terribly. They like, f- like refused to ship back like a film because they maybe because they didn't have any money, but it was like like from to Russia and like like Russian like film producers were calling the Missouri Film Commission, being like, "Where's our film?" Oh my gosh! Um, really bad. Like yeah. could not have been worse. Um, to the point where had we not already had ragtag under our belt and mm-hmm. had Paul not said no, yeah. True false never would have started. We never could have gotten over the hump of, hey, we want to start a film festival. Like we went to people, we went to sponsors that first year, yeah. and we we're like, no, 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 we we know what a film festival is, guys. <laughs> um, but like, but because we had ragtag, we went. You know, other sponsors were like, okay, we know you guys, we know what you're yeah. about. Um, we'll do this. Yeah, for you. there's um, Springfield has a really good brewery called Mothers. Mm-hmm. I think they come, they are up here as well. They distribute up here, but. Uh, the owner is a guy, Jeff Schrag, and I asked him one time, I was like, because they just kind of shot out like a cannon, uh, like out of a cannon. And, they, and I said, what do you think? What do you, well, how do you, attribute, what do you attribute that to just starting out something? And he's like, he just said, Springfield was waiting for a brewery they could cheer for. And I was like, yeah. Yep. It's like that sort of like having that sense of like it's time for this. Yep. 
Yeah, and so, yeah, so that was huge. And, you know, and, and then I think we were, you know, had certain amounts of foresight, got lucky in certain ways about trends in film and documentary film. Yeah. Um, and we've really, we've followed slash led slash been part of the kind of explosion of, of documentary. And you probably have, maybe you haven't thought of this, it seems like you have like three audiences. The audience that comes, the sponsors, and the directors and stuff. Mm -hmm. I imagine that's as important to get, to have it be, have them be treated well and have it be a festival they want to come to. Yeah. And I mean, for better or for worse, I would say I've only ever really thought about it in terms of two um, yes. I mean, sponsors. Maybe, maybe I give sponsors short shrift. Like, but I mean, I think maybe <laughs> I give them maybe them. I give them the credit of being one of those two. Like, so we, yeah, yeah. We, we think about a local audience. We're like, yeah. what is this fest doing for Columbia? What is it doing for Mid Missouri? Like, how are we supporting and you know cheering on and doing doing things for our community? Yeah, and then what once was just imaginary. Like, one we imagined an international documentary community that yeah. we would be part of. And yeah. like, now we are, that's, that's crazy, right? <laughs> like, that's really weird right. to me, but awesome. Um, yeah, and, and we all, and, but from day one, we thought we have these two audiences and let's serve both these audiences. Um, yeah. And let's, and you know, and it kind of comes to that track thing, right? So it's like, if there's a party, there's a party and that party will be designed to appeal to somebody who lives in Colombia, uh -huh. And there's a party that will be designed to appeal to somebody who is on the documentary circuit. Yeah. Um, and there's, of course, there's gonna be crossover and you yeah. want that crossover, right? Yeah. You want like a Columbia, you know, college kid who volunteers to get into like the cool party for the filmmakers and maybe get inspired yeah. to be a filmmaker, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we definitely have always thought about those two audiences and always thought like, let's build something that serves them both. You know what I, I feel like part of the secret sauce as a, as a person who's come a bunch mm -hmm. is um, being quirky. Mm -hmm. Like having the person in leading, whoever's in charge of the queue line dress up in a costume. Right. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's just fun. Like, it's like joyful fun. You walk, I mean, you can also walk out of like some horrible heart-wrenching documentary and you're like, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's this interesting yeah. juxtaposition. Yeah. I don't know, a little microcosm of life. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we, you know, one of, the, one of my favorite <laughs> moments and it was uh, we, we made up that, the Q Queen thing. And mm -hmm. we, and we like, and we sort of just like laid out the very basic framework of it. And then people came in and made it their own. And like, yeah. literally now, like there are people who spend their, you know, like it's like cosplay, like it's they like spend their year yeah. making those costumes. <laughs> and actually, I'm like, I hadn't thought of it as cosplay until like, I remember like a couple years into doing it. And I was like looking around, I was like, who are our queens? Like, where are they, you know? And like, and it was like the cosplay world, which is like sort of like intersects, intersects with like the fetish kind of world. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, these are like, 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 and I like, I was like, like people who I knew on Facebook or vaguely or whatever. I was like, oh, this scene is like Columbia's like cosplay fetish community having their moment to like put on a funny outfit and be, be like out and be out amongst the people. Yeah. And I was like, that's so awesome. <laughs> like that makes me yeah. so insanely happy. And yeah. and and that is and it's like the perfect example for me of like if you make the framework and give it to somebody, they will come back and make it better. You know. Yeah, that's so good. And I think about it a lot like. With my show, having like people, people having these like very unique talents that aren't mine, something totally different. And often, and maybe in smaller places, like our places, they're like, um, want an opportunity to use their talent, you know? And so like, we have people that are like, 
great illustrators that'll be like, hey, can I do this? And I'm like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it gives people that chance and they kind of, and having a collection of that, everyone kind of gets to showcase everyone better almost. Yep. They yeah. Like a platform. Yeah, there's like, I mean, tremendous, um, you know, local artists who aren't professional artists, who are casual hobbyist artists, uh-huh. um, and they get an idea and they make something for the festival and it becomes part of the fest fabric, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, and it seems, does it feel, because having grown up in a college town in Iowa City, which is similar to Columbia, that there, it's almost also like this like, heightened showcase of Columbia. Mm-hmm. That it's like all the best kind of there's yeah. has such personality. It's, it's like we're gonna show it here. Here it is. Yeah, it's Columbia at its best, right? Like yeah. that's like you know, like it's like if you want an idealized version of downtown yeah. Columbia, like this is it. <laughs> um, and you get like you get like you know guests come and they're like, oh my gosh, this town, and like everyone, all the townies are kind of like, it's not always quite this good, <laughs> you know. But cool, we'll take it. You know, we'll take right, that right. that praise and yeah. Um, so. You've taken the sabbatical, is that what you're calling it? Yeah. Um, I, as I've like come to kind of get my head around it, like I'm on, I would say I'm on a sabbatical from programming. Yeah. Um, so I took a year off from programming. Um, I also mostly took a year off from like fest management. So yeah. I, I'm still involved in some very big picture management stuff. I'm still involved in some development and sponsorship stuff and a little bit of creative direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took this sabbatical, yeah. I took it from programming. Um, my idea was to step away and give myself a little bit of space to kind of work on some personal projects mostly yeah. and also kind of like regroup a little bit. I've been yeah. programming documentaries for 15 years. Yeah. I've probably watched four to 5,000 um, docs <laughs> in that time. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of, um, you know, what is it, 10,000 hours or something in his expertise, right? right? So right. I, I have expertise watching documentaries. <laughs> watching documentaries. Um, and so, yeah, so I think it was good for me to take a little break from that. And I, and I don't honestly know exactly what my return, like when and how that will happen. I'm definitely yeah. going to stay connected to the fest in various yeah. ways. Um, but I'm excited to work on the projects I'm working on now, too. What, what have you learned personally by stepping away? Huh. Has it been um, hard? Identity-wise? Yesterday maybe? was hard. To, like, yeah. So yesterday, like, oh, they we're talking, the yeah, yesterday the films came out for 2019. Yeah. Um, and it was like all the programming stuff, all that. I wasn't hard. And like when I actually saw the list, because I know, <laughs> I know how hard it is to get to that moment. And yeah. I know how good it feels when you like put this list out to the world and people yeah. start saying, "This is amazing, right?" And so I miss that little dopamine hit. Of yeah, being yeah, like, yeah. Look, it's done. Yeah. Um, I don't miss everything. Like the hundreds of hours that went up led up to that. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So, but the. Uh, but overall, it's felt really good. Overall, yeah. it's actually given me, and it's given me like some perspective on the fest and what it yeah. can be, and it's let me work on some like fest connected, but kind of extra fest projects, which I think yeah. are really like, I have a lot of energy for. Uh, and, cool. and and I, I mean, I again, I have figured out in myself like I have that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. I yeah. like starting projects. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I, I'm not as good at maintaining projects. So. Oh, I'm totally that way. I feel that way totally. I can get really excited to start something. And then once it's like, you did it, good job. Now maintain it. I'm like, yeah, not as interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So what have you, I don't know if this is hard to answer or not, um, but has doing, 
how has it changed you generally doing the doing the festival? It's hard to say because mm. you change no matter what from twenty something to thirty. Right. Yeah. Or whatever. But yeah. like, do you think it? How has it informed you differently if you hadn't done it? Or I don't know. I think it's. I mean, I mean, I hope. Yeah, it's impossible to separate because I don't know what else I would have been doing. I mean, yeah. I look back at me when we started, and I hope I'm more patient now. Um, yeah. I hope I am more willing to, um, to give other people's ideas space and to give other people space to execute ideas. Um, um, that's good. I, you know, like I'm, I, I never like think I'm the smartest person in a room, but I think pretty quickly. Ooh. And so I get to answer sometimes faster than uh-huh. people. Those answers might be dead wrong. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, my answer, yeah. they might be wrong answers, but I get there quicker. <laughs> An answer. <laughs> um, that's useful at times. Yeah. Um, but it's also been really helpful for me to like think about like other ways and like the kind of like the benefit of other ways of kind of being in the world and of like approaching problems. Yeah. Um, so and I, it's made me deeply appreciative of collaborative work. And, yeah. and I think I've always been that. And I think I, I think I probably gravitated towards doing this because of that. Yeah. Um, but I'm working on a, a you know a new feature film and just oh, like cool. really excited about bringing people on to collaborate with and to kind of give them parts of the film and say, hey, you t- take this and make it like better than I ever could have imagined. Yeah. Before. Yeah. Do you think in the last, you know, <laughs> I'm hearing myself, I'm feeling myself as I listen to you, be jealous of like taking a year off and. Just having that like space yeah. to like pursue a creative thing here, that space where it's not all kind of crammed as you're trying to get to a thing. Yeah, that's gonna feel good. <laughs> yeah, no, it feels amazing. I mean, it's really. I mean, yeah, I feel really lucky, and that like as a family, I was you know we were in a position. You know, Erin, mm-hmm. my wife, had been off for a year from the festival. She works at the festival too. Uh-huh. She came back in a much bigger position at the festival. Yeah. So having her be full time doing <clears> that. Um, I have some freelance stuff and to like financially it worked and then also just like taking that space has been yeah. huge. So what do you think, I'm interested then also in terms of kind of the make something where you are thing in what people, film or doc industry people, maybe they know it now but like think about Columbia and like coming here as opposed to like Toronto or something. Just like, I imagine early on it was a tough sell being like, yeah, and come to Columbia, Missouri we don't have a reputation for a documentary film yeah. festival. We're in the Midwest. It's not a huge place. Is that... So we, we thought it was a huge liability at first. Yeah. And then there was this kind of cool moment where we realized, I mean, even pretty early on, that like we were exotic. You yeah. know, if you're, if you're a German filmmaker, right? If you're a Dutch uh-huh. filmmaker, um, you've been to New York. You've yeah. probably been to LA. Um, you probably haven't been anywhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe even Chicago, but probably not. Um, yeah. And so like... You know, the, the Midwest, like the heartland of America, has like an exoticism in <laughs> other places, other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've, and we figured that out. You know, we did, we haven't done this in a while, but, you know, we did an event called the Real Gone Roundup, like that was at an old cattle auction barn. Yeah. You know, and that's like, that's very like culturally specific and that's very yeah. like Midwest specific. Yeah. Um, and, you know, anything like that. Um, I remember like finding somebody with a pickup truck because a filmmaker wanted to like, go on a pickup truck ride. <laughs> you know, you think about that, like, you're like, oh, yeah, like, if you live in London, like, you never see pickup trucks. Right. Um, They're just looking at the back, look at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think we, I think we kind of start, you know, 
pretty quickly we started, you know, in the first few years, started to appreciate how to kind of make our location an asset, not a detriment. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then to some degree it took over too, we're just like people wanted to be here so much and like the fest so much that then it, it became a draw like that too. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why, what's the feedback you get from filmmakers on why they like it? Um, there's, it's, we take away some of the kind of like what we call like the heat and stress of the, the industry. So mm-hmm. other festivals are marketplaces, you know, Sundance is a marketplace. Yeah. So you bring your goods to market and a bunch of people will like maybe, you know, check your goods out and maybe want to buy them from you. Yeah. And you know, if you're, if you're going to make a sale, you're going to enter into like a negotiation and you know, all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, that industry has all these other people associated with it. Right. So there are publicists whose responsibility is to kind of help sell your goods for you and there's uh-huh. sales agents and there's, you know, and all of this stuff. It, and, and it, it serves a, purpose like it's how films get out to the world and how independent films get out to the world it's really good but we don't have to be that and that's really nice so then so if you're a filmmaker at sundance or toronto you will probably not see any films oh like you will be doing meetings you'll be doing press toronto's notorious for like doing like two days of press where you literally camp out in a hotel lobby or hotel room if you're higher budget and you just do 15 minute interviews for four hours and then lunch and then some more 15 minute interviews. Oh yeah. Um, kind of like a press junket. Right. Or like Very junkety. Yeah. Actors. I think about that all the time. Whenever I see one of those like uh, celebrity driven, like interview shows, yeah. like, I don't know what access Hollywood or something like that. You see them have an interview. You're like, wow, they have an interview with the rock. And it's like, you just see the, de- <clears throat> the deadness in their eyes of like, I've said this over and over. And over. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so you give them a break. So yeah, so it's a break from that. And, and we really, we've always strongly encouraged them like, hey, <clears throat> go watch each other's films. Like mm-hmm. you're here to watch movies, watch movies, hang out, meet people. Yeah. Um, as we've grown, like networking for sure happens and there's cool projects that like yeah. sprung up out of True Falls, but it happens in a much more casual and like organic and real way. Yeah. Maybe documentaries help limit that too. Like I was, oh, yeah. I was thinking like, could it be, would it, yeah, it, so no, maybe like, it becomes that, but maybe it like, wouldn't because it's like the bigger docs. When we've had bigger docs, when we've had, but especially when we've like crossed over and had some fiction films, like uh-huh. suddenly, like the distributors, like well, we're going to send like four people with it, and you know, it's the yeah. difference between like a film, again, a film that like a distributor owns, and they think if we're lucky, this film will make us a million dollars, and we're going to budget all of our expenses according to that, <laughs> and a film that if a distributor owns and think if we're lucky, this film will make us twenty million or fifty million or hundred million dollars, yeah. let's budget our expenses based on that. Yeah. Like those are two diff- those are really different worlds and I feel right. lucky to be playing in the former world. Um the other thing is like that they love and which I think is true is like this is like a real audience. Uh-huh. Um and I, I put that in air quotes here in the yeah. room, you know, because it's like <laughs> again, but like, you know, I think as Midwesterners we sort of take that for granted. Uh-huh. And also like if you go to somewhere like Sundance, like, you know, it is a rarefied world like you can't afford to be at Sundance unless you are right. very much in the one percent you know if you're at Sundance you're probably in the mostly liberal one percent although not always yeah. um and so it's like a very specific world and because of how true false lives in a community is of a community because of the ways we do volunteer passes and stuff uh-huh. like that like our audience is is pretty broad yeah um and especially broad I would say like age-wise and politically yeah um and so that's a rare that's yeah. more rare these days than yeah a bunch 
rich people watching films. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, so yeah, filmmakers appreciate that too. Like, they love that you know somebody will come up to them after watching it and want to talk to them. And that person, you know, they might be a plumber, they might be a teacher, they might be a banker. Yeah, um, you know, they might be a Republican. Like, you know, it's like don't um, know lingo. Yeah, <laughs> don't jargon. Okay, so let me ask you this documentary sort of theory. This is something I've been thinking about. I've been interested in asking. I forgot. It was um, so one of the things I've always loved about true false and documentaries in general is how it ones that where you you go in, you're like, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. I know who I think is good, and then it becomes this nuanced, complicated thing, and you see like a you see a complicated character expressed in real life and i feel like that's something that uh as a society we aren't as open to anymore um i don't know if that's like twitter or social media Mm -hmm. if it's a result of that but we're we're, i just feel like we're so much more quick to be like good guy bad guy yep can't see nuance and one something i love about documentaries is that you seeing that nuance and i'm wondering if audiences have changed in what they want to see or if they want like a a slanted piece where we can cheer for it does that make sense yeah i mean i think i don't know but i mean if if i if i take the success of true false as an indicator Uh then i would say yeah they people want nuance right like most people most people are not and you know the lives we live in real life are very different than the lives we li- li- live online. Yeah. Um, and I think in real life, people navigate all kinds of complex relationships, and yeah. people have friends who have different politics, and people have friends who have different um, aesthetics, and all kinds of things. And so, um, yeah, I think people like, you know, we have kind of planted a flag in in what we call like you know telling messy stories. Yeah. We have said like, look, we the films. One of the ways we we look at films, and one of the kinds of film, filmmaking we highlight are stories that are not easy or simple or didactic. Yeah. And I think audiences really appreciate that. It's kind of a breath of fresh air, a little bit. It's almost like taking a break as well, where you're just like, okay, I can just open myself up to seeing this story as it is, as right. opposed to like, is this person on my team I should cheer for or right. not? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So what do you, do you have... Um, do you have, like, uh, if it's festival, like festival sort of philosophical thoughts on like, so so for example, having done like improv for years, like one of the things I used to love to do is if I'm not in a scene, it's just kind of like watch the audience. Mm-hmm. And like when, when someone laughs, I've always, I used to love to watch people, you, right when you start laughing, you turn to the person you're with and like you make eye contact. Mm. And, um, and I love that you, People rarely go to funny movies by themselves. There's something that like happens between a performer, this person, and this person. They look together and right. experience the same thing. And um, so, like, I love I love thinking about that and kind of watching audiences do that. Do you have like some like any sort of like philosophical? Maybe not the right word, but like things that you notice people doing or. or there's the, there's the glue in True False that I can't put my hand my finger on. That's like it's the films, it's people, but there's a glue there. It's camaraderie. I don't know what it is, but I mean, one of the things that we've figured out about the figured out of the films a little while ago, but was like there was a couple years where we thought, you know, <clears throat> there's always gonna be really heavy documentaries, mm-hmm. and you want to figure out a way to like balance that and like leaven yeah. that. And we thought that comedy was like a leavening agent. And it's not. 
Okay. Comedy, especially like in the real life, um, uh-huh. is like is usually like a little mean spirited. <laughs> yeah. Like, right, like, right. like real life comedy is like is like like yeah, it doesn't it doesn't do that, and it doesn't actively combat. Um, so like, what does is hope. What does yeah. is like so like a, a feel good movie, which I think yeah. is actually like a movie that leaves you with a sense of hope about the world. <clears throat> Undefeated. I remember watching in the Jesse, and just everyone's like, yeah, yeah, exactly, like. That brings you back up. Yeah. And so like those movies to me are are sort of precious commodities in the fest programming landscape. Because like if you uh-huh. place them if you place them correctly and you place them in the right moments, you know, it's so funny to hear people go through a year of true false and be like, Well, all the movies this year were depressing. Well, <laughs> I guarantee that person saw eight to ten movies. Maybe less, but I'll give yeah. them the benefit of that and say eight to ten. And the depressing ones. <laughs> and right. So they saw twenty five percent of the lineup. Yeah. So but they're not wrong because I should have made their path uh, have moments of, of leavening. Like I should yeah. have given that whoever whoever they are, right? Like whether they're into like super weird experimental slow stuff or whether they're into like the really big pop stuff. Now, most of that criticism mostly is the people into the pop stuff who want some more feel good movies. Yeah. So you put the feel good movies in the bigger venues uh-huh. at the right times. And it totally transforms their weekend. So it's having the film and putting it in the right place at the right time. Yeah. That's so interesting. And a lot of my favorite films I've seen is when I've, I have a ticket for something and decide to queue up for something else instead. Right. I'm like, what if I had gone to the original one? I would have missed this. Right. Uh, that's, I imagine you guys have all sorts of like strategies and philosophies that we don't know about to put people on paths. There's, I mean, every year probably, like, we will, I mean, hope, you know, every year you hope it's less and less and you don't do it, but like every year we will put up a description of a film, start to get feedback on that, maybe see like early reservations from like our top level pass holders and realize that like one word is like keeping people away from that film. Oh. Like we'll be like, oh, we wrote this paragraph and we said it's like this or we use this word and yeah. people will latch onto that. Um, yeah. Because you, you make your choice off of a little paragraph. Yeah, you're you know like it's usually not trailers. Sometimes there's trailers, but yeah. So you're you're reading a paragraph. You're reading a, sometimes just the sentence. You know, the so short important. one is a sentence, and so like every word matters. And like we've definitely found like oh like we used, you know, we use the word squeamish, and uh-huh. people don't like that word. Or we use the word you know like whatever whatever word it oh was, um, and we've gone back and made like those kinds of tweaks to get to like kind of course correct. Oh, you see that in the reservation? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We know. We're like, we're like, why is this really good? Like, why is this movie that we think will be popular? Why is this movie yeah. that we think lots of people will like watching yeah. not doing as well? And we'll go in and we'll be like, oh. Sometimes it's a photo. You know, photos can do that too. Uh-huh. But like it, a number of times it's been like, you know, if we just take this word out, I bet it'll do better. <laughs> and it, it usually works. Like, That's amazing. So, okay, so we're in... Your house that used to be your grandparents' mm-hmm. house near your mom's house. Yes. Yeah. What does it mean for you, having grown up here, to have created something new and awesome in the city you grew up in? Um, it's like deeply, deeply emotional for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's something I wanted to do. It's something I, I it's something I came back from college with, like this again. You know, the idea has evolved and shifted and more. Where did you go to college? I went to college at a place called Hampshire College. Um, it's in Western Massachusetts. It's okay. a small liberal arts school. I was exposed to a lot of new films, filmmaking, uh-huh. experimental video stuff. Saw stuff I loved 
and that no one in Colombia, my friends in Colombia, didn't have access to. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's like one of those easy hindsight things now, but it was really true. I mean, I wrote an essay like my senior year about like how we need to like take film out of the academy and out of the ivory tower and take it into like uh-huh. to the people. Yeah. And so to like look back and be like, oh, I I did I did that. Yeah. I did that thing. Like I I took this town which I care a lot about, um, and I was able to help with you know a lot of other people like build Ooh. something. It's so different to go to high school in Columbia now, public high school. Uh-huh. Like every every public high school sophomore in Columbia comes to a true false film now. Like oh, it's a field wow. trip. They do a field trip for all the sophomores. Wow. Like I think about that and I think about me as a sophomore and it like it blows my mind. Like that's awesome. Yeah. I remember thinking like when I was starting college being like, I don't know. I was like, I think maybe I want to be a teacher. And then I was like, I think that's because that's most of the adults I know. Mm. And so I think about how like doing something like this exposes people to, I suppose the kids to other possibilities. Just right. you don't have to pursue it, but just that there are all these other things. I didn't have, I mean, I, I, I sort of found my way there, but like, I can't say that filmmaker, much less like film festival director was a career that ever seemed possible to me. Yeah. Um, outside of like a crazy dream, right? Like, you know, like yeah. I mean, I, and by high school I had started to dream it and was like, well, somebody makes these movies and maybe I could be that person. Yeah. Um, but I had no, I had nobody in my family. I had nobody I knew who, for yeah. whom that was their job. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And just the culture aspect of it, the idea of like, like you're bringing films, but you're, and you're, you're bringing films, you're bringing an experience. And then inside those films, it's like this multiplying effect you've created. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, I think your daughter yes. is going to wake up soon yeah. and you have to call and stuff. But thanks. Yeah, thank you. I don't know how I end these. This we'll has been end great. With that. So, <laughs> I hope that was something. It was something. There's David Wilson. That's cool, right? What I've always loved about True False is one, they just started it because they liked something like that. They didn't worry about growing it huge and it kind of became that way. And they just liked doing something cool and weird. It's like, it's fun. Um, I remember being outside in one of the theaters once and hearing a director, I don't know who it was, talking on the phone to someone, and he was like, yeah, it's like Sundance before it came became all corporate. Sounds cool, right? I haven't been to Sundance, but I don't know. People love it. The directors love it particularly. Anyway, if you'd like to know more about it, visit truefalse.org. Make something where you are as audio engineer as Colton Jackson. Also, podcast music provided by Darren King. This is Jeff Houghton in the Make Something City, Springfield, Missouri, reminding you that you can make something where you are.